Well, welcome to uh, Chetwin Fellowship Baptist Church. Um, my name is David McMaster. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. Uh, we have another pastor named Josh, and he's currently on his honeymoon down in uh, Florida, so he's having a good time there. Um, welcome to all the kids in the service as well. It's great to have you here. Um, if this is your first time in church or your first time in a long time, we just want to welcome you here, say that this is a church for those who are weary and need rest, for those who fail and desire strength, and for those who sin and need a Savior. Um, you're welcome here, and I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. A little while ago, I was listening to one of my favorite church leadership podcasts, and this interview named Carrie Newhoff was doing a special series where he interviewed people who were sort of testing the limits and boundaries on technology and the church. And so he interviewed people who, who um, believed that they basically um, had different ways of doing church that were, might be even a bit uncomfortable for us. And they adopted them into their own ministry. And so he interviewed one person in particular, a guy named DJ Soto. And he leads a church that is quite different than what we are familiar with. He leads a virtual reality church. And here's how it works. You put on a virtual reality headset um, in your own living room or wherever you're at, and then you go basically into the internet and you build your character. They call it an avatar. So you build like a digital version of yourself. And then you go into the metaverse, which is basically you're going into the internet. And in there, you can attend DJ Soto's church, where you can go and you can be greeted by the pastor as you go to this church. You can um, have people pray with you, have conversations with other people who've also put this headset on and, and are around the world doing, um, joining in on this church. You can volunteer in this church. Um, you can do different things like lay hands on pray for people. And then the pastor, when the service gets started, he'll get up and he'll preach um, with his VR set and everything on to all these avatars that have showed up. They have a board of elders, they have deacons, um, and here's the best part, is you can actually get baptized. You can ask for your avatar to be actually baptized and they consider it as a real baptism for you. Now, I had to pick my job a little bit after listening to that episode because it seems so crazy but then I had to ask the question, is that church? I'm going to let you um, come to the conclusion on that, that one there. But today we are starting our first series in um, a series I'm calling Church 101. We are looking at some questions around the church. Today we're going to explore what is the church. And then in the following weeks, we're going to look at some more specific things like why do we have elders and deacons? Why do we have church membership? Why do we tithe? Why do we do things like that. So we're going to be exploring some of those things in future weeks. Um, but a couple things before we get started. First is this is not going to be an exhaustive look at all these topics, meaning you may actually have more questions than you might have answered. And my hope is that we'll see sort of the big picture on a lot of these topics and that it will be specifically applicable to us. Um, I would hope that it would spur on even some personal discovery, and if you have questions or want to talk about it, um, I'd be happy to meet for a coffee anytime or recommend resources that, are, that would bring some clarity. The second thing, um, I believe that theology always has to lead us to doxology. In other words, when we learn something about God, especially in a bit more of a teaching series where it's going to be very content heavy, um, we have to be careful not to let theology 
puff us up with pride or knowledge, especially to use against each other. So this series is meant for us to have a deeper understanding of who God is and the institutions and the processes he's given to his people. Um, and our, our response has to be worship. So with that in mind, what is the church? I think this is a, a question that both believers and non-believers are asking. We've all grown up with influences of what church is. Pop culture uses things like movies, TV shows, books, social media to teach us what the church is, what it thinks the church is. I had a friend of mine who came and told me that the theology of his, his understanding of what the church came from watching The Simpsons. That's how he knew what the church was, is, the, is how The Simpsons had taught the church. And if you look at the way that the culture paints a picture, it's true. And, and they, they teach in sort of two parts. First, either you, you put your Sunday best on, you go to a church, you sing to an organ, you sleep through a boring preacher, you go home and you repeat. On the other side, they also say, oh, like, it's, maybe it's just a rock concert where you have a great inspirational speaker who makes you feel really good in the moment, but really doesn't ever get to the truth or the heart of anything. And so no wonder unbelievers don't want to associate with the church if that's the picture that they've been painted. Because what relevance does that actually have in their lives? On the other hand, I think Christians are also asking the question, what is the church? And if you're uncomfortable with the first story that I mentioned, it proves that somewhere deep down you have an expectation or you have an idea of what church is and what it isn't. And so often our ideas come from our different families of origin, our traditions, our family convictions, maybe the type of church you grew up with and whether that was a good experience or a bad experience. We've all been shaped in our thinking of what the church is. And so I think this is the question that we're all asking. What is the church? Well, the church is translated from our New Testaments, the, this, the actual word from the Greek word ecclesia. Strong's Concordance defines that Greek word ecclesia to mean an assembly, a congregation, or the whole body of Christian believers. So what is the church? It is a body of believers. And there's a common agreement among theologians that there's sort of two biblical definitions of the church. There's first the universal or global or Catholic in the literal sense of the word, not in the denomination. There's the universal church. And the universal church is your brothers and sisters around the world in Asia, Africa, Europe, South America, North America, Australia, all those in the world who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That Jesus rescued them from their sins, took on the wrath of God in exchange for the righteousness of Christ so that we have hope of one day appearing before God as forgiven, freed, beloved sons and daughters spared from eternal punishment. In other words, if you are a Christian, you automatically belong to the universal church. It is believers everywhere. It is the umbrella of which Christianity is under, including different denominations. Now there's also a local church. Now the local church is an assembly of people, usually in a geographical area. And this is what we are focusing on mostly today, is the, the local church. And most of the New Testament was written to local churches. Uh, if you look at a lot of Paul's letters, they were written to the church in Ephesus or the church in Corinth or the church in Galatia. The New Testament was written primarily to um, local churches. And so the local church is what we have here today. This is a local church. Now, if you have a Bible, flip to Acts 2, 42 to 47. 
This is going to be our uh, anchoring passage today and basically the scope of what we're going to look at. In future weeks, we'll be looking at more specific things like pastors, elders, um, missions, membership, all that sort of stuff. But this is the scope of what we're going to be looking at today. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And this is the, uh, the early church. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I have just a few observations from this text. And first being is that the church is not a place, but it's a people. And we can often kind of get confused by that because we often say we're going to the church in the same way we say we're going to the grocery store, we're going to the hardware store. We, t- we tend to, to actually attach a physical location as what the church is, but the church is actually a people. And it's true, the early church met in a place and they met in a temple, but it also says they met in homes. So the early church was not defined by um, one location. They had, wherever the people gathered is where the church was. And so it wasn't a building, it was a people. And they did some specific things. They listened to the apostles' teaching, they had fellowship, they broke bread, uh, which is communion, um, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And notice, it actually led them to action. They helped people in need, they sold their possessions, they were joyful, they praised God, through their witness, and the Lord added to their numbers. And so the church is not a place, but a people. Second thing is that it is a movement, not a monument. A couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned that the goal of the church was the mission. Now, the moment we lose sight of the mission, we become a monument. A good example of this happening is the church in Europe. For centuries, churches have built these incredible, beautiful buildings. And if you think about um, something like the Notre Dame in Paris, they've been building that building since 1163 AD, and they still haven't finished it. And you know what's crazy is they actually have 12 million people, this was pre-COVID numbers, 12 million people a year visit that building. To do what? Look at the building. It's a monument. They're not coming to be a part of any sort of mission. They're coming to look at a beautiful piece of architecture. So what happened? Monuments got in the way of the mission, which is why the church has been struggling there. The early church met in a variety of different places, homes and buildings. The big, beautiful building doesn't save people. The mission of the church saves people. And so what is that mission? What's the mission of the church? We talked about this a few weeks ago, um, but a, a theologian named Grudem kind of sums it up in three parts really clearly. He says, it's first ministry to God. In other words, it's worship. It's our worship to God. Verse 47 said, they were singing praises to God with thankful and joyful and sincere hearts. So the mission is in part worship. Second, it's to nurture, which is building believers up in maturity of faith. Verse 42 said they devoted themselves to the teaching and to prayer. They would have been discipling one another. They would have been building up their faith and their love towards Jesus. So it's maturing as Christians. 
And that's part of what we do on a Sunday morning. Third thing is that it's evangelism and mercy. Verse 45 said, They sold everything and gave to those in need. They showed the love and the compassion of Christ to people, and the Lord added to their numbers because of that. So the church serves the mission. The church is not a place, but a people. The church is not a, a monument, but a movement. Now, if you look at what the core of what they did, it's actually pretty simple. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And our local gathering, even um, for our church, reflects those same core principles, teaching under proper authority, meeting together, which is fellowship, breaking bread, which is communion, which we practice at the first Sunday of every month, and prayer, which we incorporate through our services. So the core of what the local church is to do is actually pretty clear. Now here's where there's a bit of creative license. We're not told specifically in Scripture how a local church gathering on a Sunday is to be expressed. And it can be different from generation to generation, culture to culture, denomination to denomination. You think about um, there's other churches that are a bit more liturgical than we are. We tend to be, as Baptists, a bit more relaxed. Um, but churches like the Presbyterians or Anglicans, they tend to be a lot more liturgical. And those are not wrong things. As you can see that the local church can be expressed in many different ways, but the core of the elements are the same. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. With obviously the right um, structures and accountability in place, which we'll talk about at another time. Now here's the problem. This can often be a major point of tension in the church. And here's why. We all have ideas of what the church should specifically look like and be expressed. Um, and so I want to give you my position on this, this um, problem. And you're, you can disagree with me on this. I tend to be a bit more of a, a futurist, which means I'm constantly looking at how to best set ourselves up for the future. What does Chetwin Baptist Church look like in five years? What does it look like in 10 years? What does it look like in 20 years? And what are we doing now to prepare us for that future? And it's more specific to expression and style. And so here's the question that I'm asking myself. What does it look like for my children or one day my grandchildren, to love being a part of this church? Now, that's a tough question to ask because I think it often puts our preferences at stake. And here's something interesting I found when I was church planting in Kelowna. I had it in, in my mind that our greatest reach was going to be unbelievers, like people who have never heard of Christianity before, never heard the gospel before. And when we got started, what ended up being our biggest reach was de-churched young people. And so I began to actually ask them, why? Why? Like, this is more than the majority of our church. And so as I began to ask why, this is what they said. The church I grew up in had no interest in my generation. It was either conform to the old way or hit the highway. And a lot of them did, and they became de-churched because they didn't feel valued. And here's what I learned through that process, is that we cannot expect the next generation of church attenders to conform to our style and expectations that we have, because they'll leave before that ever happens. Instead, we need to be asking the question, how do we be a church that your children and that your grandchildren would love to be a part of? And you may be thinking, well, that's, 
that might be easy for you because you are that next generation. And, and here's the deal. I'm not anymore. I was. I'm the cutoff for millennials. Gen Z is the new, uh, Gen Z, sorry, is the new um, generation coming out of our high schools. And I don't get them. They, they dress like they're from the 80s. They have new lingo that I don't understand. And they have passions about things that my generation wasn't. And so here's what I'm having to do. If I want to reach the next generation with the gospel, if I want them to be the next generation of people in this church, I have to be willing to engage their culture, even if it means sacrificing my own preferences. That means learning. Part of my yearly reading is reading books on the next generation, reading books on Generation Z so that I can attempt to understand what they're passionate about, what they're, how they're wired to think, because it's different, and how they, what they deeply care about, and then think about how can we be a church that values some of those things. Now, again, you don't have to necessarily agree with me on that, but I'm, I am passionate about that because that's, churches took stylistic risks on me as a kid. I remember once I went to, um, in my home church, I went to my lead pastor as a young, young guy and asked, hey, can I paint the stage a midnight black, like the entire stage? And, uh, and because I think it would look awesome. And you know what he said to me? Let's go buy the paint. And we went and bought the paints, and I had 10 people come and help me paint the whole stage midnight black. Uh, and it definitely wasn't everyone's style, but it created a, uh, a, di- a vision that as a young guy, we could use this space in multi-use different areas and with different lighting and moods for different events like funerals and um, Christmas events and Easter things. And, and don't worry, I'm not going to do that here um, if, you're, if you're worried about that. I'm not going to paint this midnight black. But um, this person took a risk on a young guy's preferences, even though he didn't necessarily even see the vision behind it. But the church listened and was willing to engage a young person's ideas. And so I think as a church, we have to be open-handed when it comes to style and expression. And I don't mean that you compromise on preaching the gospel. I don't mean you compromise on worshiping God or on biblical structures and accountability or on the sacraments or even on the mission. But rather, we think about what would it look like for our children and our grandchildren to love to attend this church? And then showing that we care about their styles and their values and expressions goes a long way for that. So the church is not a, a people, but it is not a place, but a people. The church is not a monument, but a movement. And the church's expression can actually look like many different things. So we have to be adaptable. Now I want to transition to why do we need the church? Because I think that's a question people are asking, especially the local church. Why do I need the local church? We live in a world where with one click of a button, you can access the best preaching, the best teaching that the world has to offer. You can connect digitally with other Christians across the world with, and, and fellowship in that way. And so the question is, why do you need the local church? There's three reasons I have. And there's, there's more, but these are just the first three. First is for your own good. What you don't get from isolation or online teaching is a pastor that actually knows you, that loves you, and cares for you. You don't get a body of believers that is willing to help you, disciple you, push back on you, listen to you, serve you, support you in some of those really tough moments of your life. 
You don't have elders that are willing to give spiritual guidance and protection over your soul. So I need the church. We need the church. The local church is a gift that God has given us for our own good. Second thing is that it's for the good of others. Many Christians, especially in a very individualistic society, tend to think of Christianity as a personal relationship with God and nothing more. And that's where you hear Christians say, I don't do church, I got Jesus and that's all I need. The problem is, is that's not what scripture teaches. While a personal relationship with Jesus is important, God takes it much further. God establishes us in relationship with him, but he also establishes us in relationship with people, and that's the church. And so while salvation in itself is personal and individualistic, it adopts us into a greater kingdom, into a greater family, into a greater fellowship, into a body that is the church. Ephesians 4, 15, 16 says this, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. We are called to be a body, which is a metaphor that Scripture uses a few times in the New Testament especially. And it says that Jesus is the head of that body, and we are all members and and parts of that. And here's the thing. The body is made up of different parts. You have ears that are different from hands, hands that are different from feet, that are different from the eyes, different from the nose. There's all these parts that make up a body. Now, God has made us all unique and members of his body in which we need each other. Why? Because it actually promotes, when we work together, it promotes the growth of the body. When we grow together, it leads us to love one another. It leads to love others. And this happens when each individual part is working together in unity as the body. So if you're a Christian, you are a vital part of the body of Christ, of the local church. And to not be in the local church is to actually, I think, withhold God's giftings and callings that you've been given to to support the church, to help the church, to grow that body, to build one another up. So the body needs you. The church needs you. Third thing is that the local church displays the gospel why we need it. It displays the gospel. As a church, we can display the gospel of Jesus in a way that we cannot do by ourselves. We all have differences. We have different ideas, different opinions, different political views, different social views, different even theological views. And then you add on top of it our sinful natures, and at some point, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have people hurting people. And this is where the church can be a visual representation of the gospel, when you forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, when we commit to one another as Christ has committed to us, when we lay down our lives for one another as Jesus has laid down his life for the church. It displays, when we do that with one another, because of Jesus, it displays the gospel to one another and it displays the gospel to the people who are watching. So those are a couple, three reasons why we need the church. So then the question is, is how do we be the church? Well, first, I think we submit to Jesus, who's the head of the church. Jesus is our king. He gave his life for the church. He died for the church. Jesus loves the church. And the church isn't perfect. 
The church makes lots of mistakes. It's messy. It's full of sinful, broken people who have Jesus in common. But Jesus loves her. He died for her and he's sanctifying her. We are the the church when we gather together, when we sit under the word, when we fellowship with one another, when we practice communion with one another, when we pray with one another, when we participate using our giftings and our callings that God has given us, when we love people who are hard to love, when we serve people who don't deserve to be served, when we have compassion for one another, and when we ultimately point each other to Jesus. So what is the local church? Well, it's a few things. It's global and it's local. It's a people, it's not a place, it's a movement, not a monument. It's stylistically adaptable. It is to the benefit of us, it's to the benefit of others, and it's to display the gospel to the world. Jesus loves his church. Jesus died for this church. Jesus is going to come back for this church. Our call as Christians is to gather and be the church. Invite the worship team to come back up and we'll pray together. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to be the head of the church. Lord, would you show us where we belong individually to the body, where you've gifted us and called us to contribute and build up this church? Show us where we can love others. And Lord, would that ultimately point towards our love for you? Jesus, help us to be a church that is a light shining, the working out of the gospel in our lives. Help us to be a people who are being transformed daily by you, Jesus. Would you lead us to be a witness to the world? Lord, would you give, them, give us wisdom as a church on reaching the next generation with the gospel and that they would love to attend this church? Jesus, thank you that you died for this church, that you're sanctifying this church, that you're shaping us into who you are, Jesus. Would you use us by your spirit to your glory? We pray this in your name. Amen.